You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. Good morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, continuing our series, Holy Work. Holy work. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along with us this morning, you can open up to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we've seen how, so far, we have seen the, the holy work that Jesus has for the disciples and for us as believers. We saw him leave, uh, and this, this, this situation where the disciples were like, what do we do now? And so last week, we looked at chapter, the end of chapter 1 and beginning of chapter 2, and we saw uh, them getting prepared for the work that, the, that God had for them, and then for the Holy Spirit coming to assist them in that work and to give them that work. So last week, we ended with the arrival of the Holy Spirit. We ended with the arrival of the Holy Spirit, and this week, we're going to kick off, and, and, and it's really cool because we get to see Peter be excited about something. And so uh, today, we're going to see Peter's excitement. And when something exciting happens, what's the first thing that you want to do? Talk to somebody, right? That's the first thing you want to do. It's like, who can I call? Who can I text? It's that way with anything, right? Like, people don't watch sports and then just go, hmm, that was a good game. If you do, more power to you because I need to share it with somebody, right? Like, I've got I've to text people. Uh, I'll call somebody and be like, holy cow, did you see the end of that game? Like, there's, there's this, like, I need to, to share my excitement of what I just saw. If you see a good movie, first thing you're going to do, go tell somebody about it, right? Like, that's why things like Rotten Tomatoes exist is because people are like, the world needs to know that I thought this was only two stars, or two tomatoes, I don't however they do it there. And, and it's really why social media exists, right? That's why social media exists. If we're honest, nobody cares, right? Like, if, if you think about it, nobody cares what I had for breakfast. Nobody cares. Nobody needs to know that much about me. But what we love is we love to just walk up to, to all of our friends and be like, hey, guess what happened, Right? I don't care how many people like it. I'm not like tracking how many likes I get. I am on this one video because it's got like over a thousand. I'm pretty excited about it. It's about my kids, so it's different. Um, but like for the most part, it's like, I don't care if anybody likes this. I just want everybody to know this is how I feel, right? And I think that's why social media exists and why it's so popular is because we just want to tell everybody. We don't care if anybody agrees with us or not. If anything, we'll just get really angry if they don't and then type back to them and it's angry. You get a whole thing, right? So, so we just want to be excited. We just want to share with somebody when something exciting happens. And that's what happens to Peter. That's what happens to Peter. So in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has just come down, and they've experienced this. They've spoken to the people in tongues, the people who have, from around all of the area, have heard what God has done in their own languages. And then we come here to verse, I'm going to back up a little bit to where we were a little bit last week in verse 13, because uh, it pertains to the rest. So Acts chapter 2, verse 13. It says, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, 
right? I love that that's still like the running excuse, right? Like, it's a little early, don't you think? You know, like, even back then, he was like, it's nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Okay, when he says this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, it's important for us to realize that this happened over 500 years ago, okay? If you think now, back 500 years ago, like the United States wasn't a country, right? Like we're, we're, we think our church is old, but like 500 years is real old. So this that, that Peter is about to talk about was spoken over 500 years beforehand. So in picking back up in verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And anyone, sorry, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter's starting to get it, right? Like we, we saw at the beginning of Acts in chapter one that they were still like, so now is when you're gonna like take power and like you're gonna start getting to work, right? And Jesus is like, you're still missing it. And so now you can see that Peter's starting to get it because he's like, oh, when Joel said this, he was talking about like today, like this is today. Could you imagine the excitement of that light bulb moment for Peter, right? Like Peter is so excited. He's like, I get it now. He's starting to connect these dots because now he has the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. And the Holy Spirit is kind of saying, hey, you remember that stuff you learned when you were a kid? Yeah, that's, that's what this is. That's what this is. And so he's so excited because he sees that Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Jesus fulfilled prophecy. All these things that Peter has heard his whole life, he's starting to realize this was what he was talking about. This is the Messiah. This is really who it was. There are over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Over 300 prophecies. So the statistical probability of that happening just by chance, right? The statistical, I'm not even going to say the number because it's just like a 10 with like the little thing up there and it's like a bunch of zeros. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it doesn't make any sense to us. So the way I've heard it said is that the statistical possibility of this happening would be if you took silver dollars and you covered the entire state of Texas in silver dollars. And on the back of one of those was like a sticker or something. that, and, and your chances of finding that silver dollar on the first try are the statistical chances of somebody just like accidentally stumbling into fulfilling these 300 prophecies. If that was even possible, right? Like raising from the dead. It's like nobody just like accidentally did that. You know what I'm saying? So like if this were possible for somebody to do accidentally, and again, okay, like, well, I don't mean, like, Texas on a map, right? Like, I, I have my hard time wrapping around this. So, oh, sorry, and I forgot a really important part. It's not just if you covered it. If you covered it two feet deep with silver dollars, right? Two feet, I guess this is two feet. Like, it, it could be uh, three. I don't know. I'm terrible with measurements. So two feet deep. Now, to help us wrap our mind around it, if you just imagined this room filled two feet deep with silver dollars, one, cha-ching. Two, where do we get all these silver dollars? Three, that's a lot of silver dollars two feet deep in this room, right? 
And then, to help our brains, at least my brain that has trouble with this, if you stepped outside and as far as you could see was also two feet deep in silver dollars. And then you started to drive home uh, somehow on top of all these silver dollars. And all the way to your house is covered two feet deep in silver dollars. Right? Are you guys kind of starting to get it now? And then Texas, which is the second biggest state, is covered two feet deep in silver dollars. Anybody, anybody else tracking with me? Or are you all just like... I've kind of gotten to the point where I just believe you and I don't really, I can't like make it make sense in my brain because that's how I feel. Like the chances of Jesus accidentally fulfilling these prophecies is non-existent. There's actually, I have this really cool book. I'm, to be honest, I don't know where I got it. God could have mailed it to me just for today. Uh, I don't know where it came from, but this is a book of uh, just 100. This is just 100 of the prophecies that, God, that Jesus fulfilled. Just Jesus right here and on the back, right? I guess I could have turned it around instead of turning around. But this is all of the prophecies, not all of them, 100 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, and they're organized. It's really cool. I wish you guys had, if you just want to pass it around, I'm just kidding. If you want, if you want one, you can find one on the internet, I think, is what it says. But if you want to see it after, you can definitely come check it out. But it's really cool. You can see these things, like um, in his death and resurrection, it says in Psalm 69, 20, it says, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. If you guys remember when Jesus on the cross and he says, I'm thirsty, what did they dip the sponge in to give him? Vinegar, right? And that happened, that sentence in Psalms happened over 800 years before Jesus' death. Um, You've got, oh, well, this is one of my favorite ones. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 46, it says, it must be eaten, talking about the Passover, it must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. So the Passover sacrifice said, do not break any of the bones of the Passover sacrifice. Again, in Numbers, it says, they must not leave any till the morning or break its bones when they celebrate the Passover. They must follow all the regulations. So what's so cool is a regular practice of crucifixion was uh, the, the death of crucifixion actually was suffocation. So you're hanging there and you had to pull up to take a breath. And so that's actually what killed you when it came to crucifixion. So what would happen is basically at the, the next morning, if you hadn't died, they would come and they would break the people's knees. They would break their knees so that they physically could not raise themselves up anymore. And that's how they suffocated and died. And so they go and they break the knees of the, the guy on the left of Jesus and on the right of Jesus. And they get to Jesus and they're like, he's already dead. There's no need to even break his bones. So they, they put that down and they pierce his side and, and water comes out, which is another sign of death. Sorry, I didn't, it's really gruesome this morning, I guess. Um, but what's so interesting is that they broke the normal pattern of the way they did crucifixion every single time. Why? So that prophecy would be fulfilled. The Passover sacrifice is not to have any of its bones broken. So the Passover sacrifice that covers us fulfilled what it said back in Numbers, which was over 1,200 years before Jesus' birth. Yeah, birth. 1,200 years before Jesus' birth was when that rule was made, and it was fulfilled on the cross. Do you under, you're starting to understand why Peter's so excited, right? Like you're starting, he's like, man, I've heard this stuff my whole life. And now I have the Holy Spirit in me that's like, hey, you remember this stuff? Yeah, that was Jesus. 
So Peter is so excited. And so he points to one of these prophecies in Joel, and I want to read it again because it was, he's, he's realizing that this is coming true in that moment. Again, it says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He starts off by talking about pouring out his spirit on all people, which is, which is an interesting phrase because the, the Jews, they thought that this was just for them. And so when Joel says, I'm pouring out my spirit on all people, this is the theme that we're going to see come up a couple times in, in Peter's speech here. And, and, and thank God, right? Because otherwise we would have missed out. Right? Uh, us who are most likely, all of us in this room, are Gentiles by birth. We would have missed out if this hadn't been for all people. And he says, this passage in Joel says, we will see God move in miraculous ways through prophecy, dreams, visions. And it's not just for the elite. It's not just for the people who are standing up on stage. It's not just for the people who uh, were Levites by birth and they had the right to be the priest. No, no, this is for everybody. It's for servants. It's not just a role for men. It's men and women. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not just for the educated. It's not just for the righteous. It's not just the ones who kind of figured it all out. It's for everyone. There's no limit on who can be saved. And this is huge news for the people who are there. And so Paul, I mean, sorry, Peter, who is excited. They both start with P, okay? If I do that, just assume I mean Peter. I'm almost always talking about Peter because we're there now. Um, so this is huge news for them. And so Peter, he continues. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Nothing? You guys didn't? You didn't want to, there was like no reaction to that sentence. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Y'all are asleep this morning. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy one see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, 
And yet he said, the Lord said to, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at, your, at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Peter is invoking the name of David, which is a big deal to the people who are listening to him, right? Like this is a group of God-fearing Jews is what the the beginning of chapter two says. And so these are God-fearing Jews. And so when he invokes the name of David, this is a big deal. These people understood that David, he was seen very highly to them. And so when when he says this is David and he he, one calls him a prophet, which is weird because it was always the king. And so he says, not only was he a king, but he was a prophet. He was talking about the Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled those things that David said. So now they understood that David wasn't always talking about himself, but he was talking about Jesus. Jesus wasn't just some guy. Jesus defeated death. Jesus defeated death, and that's the second thing that we can see that Peter is excited about, right? He's like, let me tell you, not only did he fulfill prophecy, but he defeated death. And when you talk about reasons to be excited, this is a pretty valid reason, right? Jesus defeated death. That's why I was like, hey, did you guys hear that it was impossible for death to hold him, right? Like death was not strong enough. It's not just he decided. Death was not strong enough to hold Jesus. And what's funny is, as Peter says, like, this isn't a rumor, right? He says, we all saw it. He points to the 120 people that are behind him, and he's like, hey, we saw it. This isn't just like, hey, we heard somebody saw Jesus the other day, so like, probably not dead. No. If you think about a criminal case, like if, if two or three people see something and are witnesses, you're like, I mean, they probably did it, right? Like if you bring up two or three witnesses to the stand, it's like, hey, I saw this guy go in and rob the store. It's like, yeah, he probably did it. Like we got people who saw it. Much less the 11, the 12 disciples, and then the 120 behind him. That he's like, hey, we all saw, we all saw this. If, if you were on trial and 120 people got up and they were like, yeah, we saw him. You'd be like, I'm going to jail for sure, for sure, right? Like it's done. 120 witnesses is a lot. And so, so it's not a rumor. This is a fact. And he's pointing to them and he's like, look, David's great. I'm not, I'm not trying to take anything away from David. Historical figures, Abraham, Moses, all of them are great. But did they overcome death? No. He's like, David, he's still buried over there. Like, you can see it. He's still dead. Great as he can be. Bless him. But he's still dead. You know who's not dead anymore? Jesus. So he's talking about this, and this is a weighty sentence to the people. They're like, wait a second. You're trying to tell me that this guy was better than David? You're telling me that that David actually wasn't even talking about himself. David was talking about this guy? Okay, so they're starting to understand this. And Peter even kind of puts the blame on them, right? He says, you, with the help of evil men, put him to death. You tried. That's what he's saying. You tried your best. You tried your best to stop this guy, and you couldn't do it. You couldn't stop him. And we would all universally agree that if you wanted to stop somebody from doing something, death is a pretty good way to do it, right? That's why we put people to death in the legal system. So if you want to stop people from committing crimes, you put them to death. They're going to stop doing them. And so that's what they thought. They're like, if we put this guy to death, we're going to stop him. 
And they couldn't even stop him with death because even the most inevitable thing on this earth, death, couldn't stop Jesus. Even the most inevitable thing, death, could not stop Jesus. And it's not just that Jesus defeated death. This is not why Peter, this is not the whole point of Peter's thing. I mean, he's like, there's, there's more. He says, this is not where the good news stops. It's not just like, oh, cool, that guy came from the back, back from the dead. There's more that comes from it. And you can see as we pick up back in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, with many for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, "Save yourselves from this corrupt generation." Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about three thousand were added to their number that day. This is such an interesting response that the people have, right? They they hear and, and it's like, okay, we we can't just say cool, hey, thanks for the update, Peter. Really appreciate it. We're going to head out, right? They're like, I feel like I need to do something with this. What am I supposed to do with this information? It's not just that he was who he said he was and he defeated death, but then Jesus also gives life. Peter, he, he wants them to understand that Jesus gives life. The response to the gospel, when we hear the gospel, our response is either receiving or rejecting life. Those are the only two options. Can't just sit there. It's either a rejection or it is reception. A life that is no longer defined by yourself and your limitations, but a life that's lived with the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, all you have to do is repent and you will receive this Holy Spirit. He's like, hey, all this crazy stuff that you're like, hey, I don't know how y'all are doing this. It's a little weird, but I, I think I kind of want to try. And he's like, all you have to do is repent and be baptized. And he brings up baptism, which is, which is cool because this is not a new practice. Baptism isn't something that was invented by Christians. Because you guys know there was this guy, his nickname was The Baptist, right? Like John the Baptist. It wasn't because he liked casseroles and potlucks. It was because he actually baptized people, right? He was a baptizer, and he died before Jesus died. So it's not even like he got the nickname because he's like, oh, Jesus had this cool idea. We could baptize people. So it's clear that baptism was already a practice. And what baptism was is it was the, uh, if you guys remember in the Old Testament when, when you sinned and it says, uh, you know, you'll be unclean until the next day or you'll be unclean until night. So it wasn't just that you were unclean, but then if you're unclean, what do you have in real life, right? Like if you go out and you do yard work and you get sweaty or with how hot it's been recently, if you walk to your car and you get sweaty, to get clean, what do you have to do? Take a shower, right? To get unclean, you have to get clean. And so this idea of baptism was, was kind of a common thing, that there were people that were like, I need, to, I need to be cleaned after I am unclean. So they were made unclean by whatever sin they committed, and it was like, okay, well, for seven days I'm going to be unclean, and then I'm going to have to be made clean. And that's where this idea of baptism was already established. 
So it's not a foreign concept. That's why he's not like, let me give the instructions for baptism, because they already knew what it was. This was a familiar concept, but what's new about it is he says, you'll be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. That's a new concept. That's a new concept that it's not like, hey, you'll be made clean. It's the forgiveness of sins. And it's not the water simply washing off your uncleansingness, uncleanliness. It is in the name of Jesus. It is because of Jesus that you are made clean. You are given a new life. You are not, it's no longer are you clean or unclean, but now you are made new. Jesus gives life. He says in John 10, chapter 10, verse, sorry, John 10, verse 10 and 11, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, we talked about prophecy earlier. What's so cool is when Jesus says this, he's actually quoting the book of Ezekiel, which was written over 500 years before Jesus was born, where he says, you are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, they knew what that meant. They were like, wait a second. God is the shepherd. He says, yeah, I am. And the good shepherd lays his life down so that you may have abundant life, so that you can have life to the fullest. Jesus didn't just come and fulfill prophecy. He didn't just come and defeat death, but he also came to give us life. Do you see why Peter was excited? Anybody? Nobody? Okay. If you're not excited, okay, I got one more thing. One more thing. You guys don't, aren't excited, I guess. So uh, hopefully, this, if this doesn't do it, I don't know what it's going to. So you can see the end of, of, of uh, the section that we read today. It says over 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Right? Amen. You, amen. Thank you. <laughs> Y'all have a good week. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, so over 3,000 people. That's not the cool part, Steve. Just wait a second. Hold, hold on. Save your amen for just a second. What's so cool about that is not just explosive church growth, right? Like that would be super cool for us if we showed up next week and like 3,000 people were here. I don't know where we'd put them, but like that would be pretty cool, you know? But what's so cool about it is if you guys remember, we studied in Exodus a while back. We studied through the book of Exodus. So this number 3,000. Uh, Moses goes up on the mountain and he's actually in the process of getting the Ten Commandments. And, and I feel like it was like God was in the middle of like, you shall have no other gods before me. Never mind, right? Like he's like, oh, are you kidding me? So God looks down and the people have made this golden calf. God is livid, rightfully so, because they've made this calf to replace God. They're like, this is the one who led us out of Egypt and gave us manna in the desert. This is this golden calf. And so God's like, I'm going to kill him. And Moses is like, whoa, 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 I'll do it. And so Moses goes down, and Moses, and he says, we're going to pick up in, in Exodus chapter 32, uh, it says, Moses saw the people were running wild, and that Aaron had let them get out of control, and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp, and he said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. And then he said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, killing his brother and his friend and his neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day, about how many people? 
3,000 people died. So here's what's interesting. You have 3,000 people who saw firsthand what God did. They saw him part the Red Sea. They tasted the manna that he gave. They, were, they fled Egypt, right? And they still were like, not quite enough. They still didn't get it. So 3,000 people who were not faithful to God died. And then we get to Acts. We see that 3,000 people decided to worship and follow Jesus and acknowledge that he is the only one worthy of worship. Because when we know the truth about who Jesus is, it should spark a difference. It should spark some excitement in us. Amen. Thank you. When we understand that Jesus wants to give us new life, we have no choice but to look at the life we live and say, is this enough? I don't know where I can put this that you guys, here, I'm just going to do this. We don't, this is, I'll get this back in a minute. I'm just going to move some things around so you guys can see this morning. So, so Jesus comes and he gives us this new life. And so we have these two options, Right? And what happens is that the people in Exodus, they were like, hey, I don't, I don't want a whole lot of God. Like, I just need this much because I have to have room for other stuff, right? Same might be true for you. What are you? Oh, you just moving that? Okay, that's fine. I was like, do you need something, sir? Can I help you? Um, <laughs> Devin's excited. Uh, so we have this option that we can say, hey, what I have is enough. I don't need any more. I need room for other things. I've got other stuff in my life that aren't necessarily God-related. I need, I need to make sure that I've got room for it. And that's what happened in Exodus, is they were like, you know what? There's plenty of other stuff I don't really need anymore. Or we can realize, like Peter, that there is a God who loves you so much that he came and he fulfilled prophecies that would be impossible for us to fill fulfill by ourselves. And we can say, you know what? This God is good. He has given me life. He defeated death and say, you know what? I need more. And what happens? All of a sudden now we are overflowing with what God has given us, right? We are overflowing because we said, you know what? I need more of this. I need more. I don't have enough. Is this where you sit this morning? Which version are you? Are you the version that you say, you know what, I've got enough? Are you here this morning and you're going to say, you know what, this is the God who gives life. This is the God who has given me life. He defeated death so that I could have a relationship with him. And I don't want it just for myself. I want it to spill out over me to the world around me, to the people who also need to know about it. Are you going to be excited this morning? Holy cow, I set you up so easy for that one, okay? Can we be excited this morning? Yeah. Right? Like, okay, you guys get excited about a lot of things. I know you. I know you get excited about a lot of things. If Georgia scores a touchdown, you don't just go, amen. <laughs> Maybe if it's against, like, Vanderbilt, you might be like, it's 72 to 3 now. 
cool, I guess, right? Like, and I think maybe that's part of it is like we've just kind of become desensitized to having this much water in us, and it's like, this is enough. But, but it says, I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't just say, I've got a little, that's enough. Be excited. Can we be excited? Are we to the point where Peter was? I, I want you to really think about it. I don't I don't necessarily want your fake enthusiasm. It's okay if you don't have it, okay? I understand. But I want to challenge you this morning to get excited. I don't know what it's going to take from you. I don't know what it's going to take. I know it's not the 30-year-old overweight white guy on stage telling you you should be excited, right? Like that's not going to do it. Because it's going to take looking at Jesus. It's going to take looking at what he did. That's what Peter was doing. He was saying, don't, don't look at me. Well, if you look at me, look at what I'm doing because of him. But look at him. Look at what he did. Look at what he has given you. And that is why Peter is excited. What I think is funny is that it says, and he spoke many other words that day, right? And I wonder if that's Luke being like, you know, he talked for a while. We were hungry because he was so excited. Are you that excited about Jesus? I, I, I'm not, I don't need your, again, I don't, if you are, that's great, but this is more rhetorical. Are you that excited about him to where it impacts every area of your life and spills out to other things? Or is Jesus just one part of your life? Is Jesus just something that you know a little bit about and you're like, hey, yeah, I know I go to church on Sundays and sometimes on Wednesdays. And so there's like two hours a week that I spend with this guy. It's really cool. He's a good guy. If I'm thirsty, I have a little bit to drink, you know. Or is it something that consumes all of who you are? Have you allowed the excitement of God to completely fill you up to where it's what's spilling out to those around you that are like, I, listen, let me tell you about how good my God is. Let me tell you about what he did to me and in my life. I used to be this way. I used to be arrogant. I used to be obnoxious, still a little obnoxious. I used to be unbelievably selfish but now with Jesus, I care about others. I care about you. I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to know how I can help you. I want to put you first. You can say, this is what Jesus has done for me because I let him fill me up. Amen? Amen. Let's be excited about Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for how incredible you are. God, that you're not just a God who came and, and, and showed us some cool party tricks and then left. God, that the creator of the universe came down, proved that you were who you said you were. Then you gave your life to pay for our mistakes. All the stuff in our life that we are so embarrassed of the parts of us that, that we don't even like. God, you came to pay for it so that we could have life, so that we could step into relationship with you, so that we can be your people. God, I pray that this would not just be a small part of, of our lives that we have to leave room for other things because we've got, we've got bills and we've got relationships and we've got chores and we've got other things that we have to do, but God, that we would be so completely fulfilled by you because you are good enough. 
God, let us see you the way that Peter did, that he was so excited. He said, I can't wait to tell you about who he is and what he's done for me. God, I pray that you would fill us up and that we would be people who love people and who love you. God, that we would do everything in love. It's your name we pray. Amen.